Our scripture reading comes this morning from John 10. I'll start uh, at verse 1. I'll read through verse 18. And if you're following along in a Bible, then I'll skip down to verse 27 and finish out uh, through 27 through 30. These are the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this flock. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. God. Oh, Brother Chris, thank you so much for this opportunity to share the Word of God with your flock. Hello, everybody. My name is Shay Fitzgibbons. I'm a, an associate pastor at Hope Community Church down in Newburyport. We are also an American Baptist church, so I bring you greetings from brothers and sisters down there. Thank you, Luciana. That looks better, doesn't it? Uh, Yes, greetings from a fellow uh, sister church 
American Baptist down in Newburyport. So it's so glad, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. This is an exciting thing for me because I don't get an opportunity to, to travel to other churches and, and preach. And uh, Chris, you were, you were slightly correct in retelling that story because as I sat next to my dear brother and friend, uh, listening to all that was happening in his life, I said, you're coming back after this trip, intense time with your father, not sure what's going to happen there, and then you have this huge funeral. I said, who's preaching on Sunday? And he said, well, that's a great question. I was hoping to find somebody. And then I said, well, we've been talking about this sermon series for a while. I'll do it if you need me. And then we shook on it. So it was just kind of a neat thing to see what God had in store that neither one of us knew before that moment. And so, yes, as Chris said, this is a a sermon series that we did this past summer when uh, our lead pastor had resigned and uh, took a church down in Lynn, Massachusetts. It left me in a position that I had not intended to be in when I had started at this church only a year and a half before, uh, as being the interim pastor before we would find an interim. And so I was trying to imagine now what is my new role like? And that word imagine just kept sticking uh, in my mind. And so when I had to come up with this new sermon series, it just finally hit me that for the church to imagine who they are, especially at this time in history, when we're wearing masks, when we are sitting apart, we're no longer hugging or shaking hands like we're used to, all of the ministries that we're accustomed to uh, have taken a hit, uh, trips to support missionaries, local and afar, put on hold. I mean, everything we know of church seems like it's just been flipped upside down, and we're in this tremendous identity crisis. And so the Lord kept putting this word, imagine, back on my heart. But as he did that, he said, Shay, you don't have to go very far to imagine what the church needs to be during this time. You don't have to go very far to understand who you are. So we titled it Imagine Church. And I'm not sure what your pastor will name it. He's free to name it whatever he'd like because he didn't rip it off. We, we gifted it. And uh, I'm sure he'll take the, the fishes and loaves that we gave him and make something much more out of it. Uh, but Really, my hope today is to get us to simply think, much like Luciana did for us, to let's get back to the basics. We have a great mission. We have a great king. And today we have a good shepherd. You heard that in the text that, that Chris read for us. And so if you have your Bibles, keep, keep them open to uh, John chapter 10. We'll be looking at that together. But sort of as an introduction to this series that, that we gave at Hope Community Church to, to help you wrap your mind around what it would look like to imagine church, and I'm talking to you when I say church, imagine church, what this could be, because we have an opportunity that lies before us. 
We can either look at what we've lost, or we can look ahead to what God has planned for us. It's our choice. Do we want to grieve, or with hope do we want to look at what God has in store? So, coronavirus pandemic has got nothing on our king, nothing on this good shepherd. Uh, The New Testament uses many images and metaphors to describe the church. And so the point behind this series was to to help us do a little bit of right brain thinking, to to look at these various images, one per Sunday, to really help us understand our identity and our mission and to go forth uh, from that position of truth. What does Scripture teach us about who we are and what we're to do? Who are we following Who does he say that we are and what has he asked us to do in this lifetime? And so the Greek word for church that's used 115 times in the New Testament is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. Literally, it means an assembly or a congregation of people. It's in uh, in the Greek of its day, it it wasn't necessarily uh, a holy word, but it's been used in Scripture. It's been used by the Lord Uh, to indicate who his people would be, how he would set them apart. But but a a congregation or a gathering of people. Now, I I think even in our modern day, we can confuse this word, uh, church, by thinking of these beautiful four walls, the, uh, the brick and mortar, the wonderful steeple that you see in so many quaint New England towns, right? So you get up in the morning and you say, I've got to be to church by 10 o'clock. And probably most of us are thinking, I need to get to that building because that's where I'm going at 10 o'clock. Well, the way that church is used in Scripture is not only a place, but more primarily the people, the ecclesia the congregation, the people that the Lord has set apart. And so I want us to think when we hear church that it's your people on your left and your right, it's your friends down in Newburyport, it's the the other pastors that are in your prayer list that you can be praying for this week, it's those around the globe that you support through your missions, It's, it's the church universal. We are the people of God. So it's going to be helpful to, to think, think of church in a couple of ways. Think of Big C Church, the church universal, all times, all places, all of the people of God who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And then think of Little C Church as the local assembly, the people gathered by mutual covenant in a particular place like Middle Street Baptist Church. So at any rate, the Bible is going to reinforce time and again through many metaphors the uses of the word church, that it's the people of God, identifying who we are more so than where we meet. So again, it can be brick and mortar and steeple in historic New England. It can be an underground gathering of Chinese Christians in Shanghai enduring constant surveillance and pressure from the Chinese Communist Party, like those that Chris and I sat across the table from and asked them how they live out their faith. 
a few years ago. Or it can be a tin roof, dirt floor, open air, sweltering hot service in Uganda at Kakuma Refugee Camp for the South Sudanese who have escaped persecution. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's the people who profess Jesus as their Savior. There is the church. And so, in this text this morning, John chapter 10, what we see here is just one of many images. We see one flock following one shepherd. One flock of sheep following after this one good shepherd. Now, this, this image of a flock and a shepherd, you see that in many other places throughout Scripture. The Apostle Paul refers to the elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 in this way. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all of the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You see, he's talking about the flock and identifying that as the church of God. And he's talking to the leaders of that church as its shepherds. Again, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 says, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Again, a high calling for those shepherds to be examples to the flock that they're leading. So what I want to do with our time remaining is just look at the shepherd, and then we'll look at the flock. This one good shepherd and the flock that's intended to follow after him. So who is the shepherd? Well, again, shepherd imagery is not new in the New Testament. It's drawing off of Old Testament imagery. And so Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, talks about the fact that God, the Lord, Yahweh, will tend to his flock like a shepherd. Ezekiel chapter 34, in many verses there, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And he did that in contrast to the shepherds of Israel, the the leaders, the religious leaders, who were not being good shepherds. They were taking advantage of the flock. And the Lord says, fine, I myself will seek them out, and I will be their shepherd. So can you hear what Jesus is doing with that imagery, what he's calling upon in this text in John chapter 10? He says, I am the good shepherd. In one sentence like that, he has not only claimed this this, uh, divinic title, I am, but he's also drawing off that imagery and saying, I'm that good shepherd of Ezekiel. I'm the same good shepherd of Isaiah. I am 
Yahweh, I'm here in the flesh. I'm here as the good shepherd. And if there was any doubt that he's making that claim to divinity, the verses just after where Chris stopped reading, it says that the Jews picked up stones to stone Jesus because they knew what he was claiming. You don't say, I am, in the midst of these religious leaders. It doesn't get over, it doesn't get past them. But for the longest time, what always frustrated me about this passage, I would use this quite frequently at funerals, and I would cut out all of the bits about the the door and the gate because I was having this internal dialogue with Jesus and saying, Jesus, come on, why why do you have to mix metaphors on us? I mean, what is, are you the good shepherd? Are you the gate? Like, just stick with one, would you? Until I'm humbled and realize, you know, he's the wise one and I'm the, I'm the learner. But it wasn't until preparing for this message back at Hope Community Church that I had to do some more reading that a scholar by the name of uh, Merrill Tenney professor of Bible and theology at Wheaton College, he opened my eyes to the beauty of God's wisdom here. Listen to what he says about this. He says, the sudden shift of metaphor from shepherd to gate, it seems rather strange to us. But in reality, it is not, he says. When the sheep returned to the fold at night after a day of grazing, the shepherd stood in the doorway of the pen and inspected each one as it entered. If a sheep were scratched or wounded by thorns, the shepherd anointed it with oil to facilitate healing. If the, shepherd, if the sheep were thirsty, he gave them water. After all the sheep had been counted and brought into the pen, the shepherd lay down across the doorway so that no intruder, man or beast, could enter without his knowledge. The shepherd became the door. When you picture this pen, don't picture it like some modern-day fancy, you know, steel grate or, or even wood pen. Picture something rather crude with, with rocks and then an opening with no door. Rocks maybe, I don't know, three or four feet high. And here's the shepherd laying down his life for those sheep. He's both gate, door, and shepherd. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, wasn't I humbled? So, this is the good shepherd. This is the one who lays down his life. It's it's the perspective of the shepherd leading his sheep. That's, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's showing us from a shepherd's perspective what it looks like to lead a flock. And what does this shepherd do for his sheep? Well, he calls them by name. Put your name there. Have you heard him call you by name? He knows your name. He is calling. If you haven't heard him yet, lean a little closer. He calls the sheep by name. He leads them. He talks to them. He provides pasture for them. He protects and he saves them. 
He gives abundant and eternal life to them. And then he securely holds them. No one can snatch them out of his hand. So I think you see the picture here of this good shepherd. He's, he's faithful. He's someone you can trust. He's loving. He's strong and he's steadfast, both in his character and in his actions. Jesus is that good shepherd. But now let's look at the flock, because that's really what this series is about, is who are we as the church? Well, we're like the flock of sheep. You see some images here of what you would think of when you think of the flock. Do you see the the one that says, what are you looking at? You see the one with the bed head? What do you think of when you think of sheep? What, are, what, what do you think of? Dumb. Dumb. <laughs> Fuzzy. Gentle. Gentle. Followers. Followers. Not too bright. Not too bright. You got it, Bob. Yeah, so not strong, not brave, right? They need that shepherd to survive. That's who we are. (laughs) This is the image that God is using of us. Pretty humbling, right? I don't know how many of you have advanced degrees, you know, like Chris and I, masters of divinity, right? What a joke that title is. (laughs) But you know, God's saying to every single one of us, you're not that bright. (laughs) You need me. You're a follower. Yes, you may lead, but ultimately you're following me, he says. Sheep are known for scattering, going astray. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way. That's a picture of sin. Sheep are known for being helpless. Matthew 9, verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because why? They were harassed and helpless. Helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That means they're in need of rescue. Well, how do the sheep respond to the shepherd in this text? Because that's where we're going to learn. If we're going to imagine, church, what we do as the sheep... Don't go much further than this text. Because the first step for the flock is very simply these two things. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey, right? Am I right? These sheep trust and follow or obey the good shepherd. That's it. You don't make it more complicated than it is. Trusting Jesus, the good shepherd, that he is the one who rescues them from sin, that there's nothing they can do to rescue themselves, but they believe in the rescuer. They, they know who he is, and they know that he knows them. That's what it looks like to put faith in this good shepherd. And the obeying part is the following that 
the flock that obeys Jesus is the one that's following him. So if he's going somewhere, we are right behind. If he has said, do this, the flock is supposed to do it. If he says, don't do that, the flock's not supposed to do that. And yet, we have the most gracious shepherd who even when he sees us wandering off like we sang about, goes out to look for us and to bring us back into the fold. This is that good shepherd. But that's who we are. We are so prone to wander. Beloved, I'm not sure how many of you here very mature in the faith, have been following the Lord for 20, 30, 40 years. You know in your own heart how you're still prone to wander. You, you know the, the things of this world that attract your eye, that before you know it, you've wandered down some path and turned around and said, Where's my, where's my shepherd? Where'd he go? Trust and obey, for there is no other way. To be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. But why trust and follow him? Well, the the key to that response is, is here in this text. It's the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. And it lies in this reality. That Jesus said it not once in this text. Not even two or three times, but five times. He says, I lay down my life. For the sheep. I lay it down. That's why we trust and follow him. Because of what he has already done for his flock. He sacrificed himself on behalf of the sheep. And then he also emerged victorious from death three days later. He is alive. He is not He is not some story of some stranger who lived thousands of years ago who just exists on paper. He is alive. He speaks to us through his word, through his spirit, through his presence with us. So what does application look like for this flock? Remembering who we are and whose we are. The church, like the flock of sheep, is those of us who have heard his voice and are trusting and obeying him. We're following after him. We have heard his voice. So when he has spoken, we heard him. And we continue to hear him. We hear his voice as we read the scriptures. We hear his voice in prayer through the Holy Spirit. We are in the flock together. We follow one shepherd together. And so no matter what our needs are or the circumstances we find ourselves in, like Bev, grieving the loss of Louis after so many years of intimate marriage, even there, she can trust and obey this good shepherd because he's with her. He's promised never to leave her or forsake her, and he's doing that for each and every one of us. Every day, That promise stands. So will we trust him for our own care, our own needs, 
when perhaps we may lose our own spouse or child or parent or friend. No matter our needs, our Good Shepherd provides for us. He provides guidance, protection from His goodness and mercy all unto eternal salvation. But if we make it only about a ticket to heaven, we will miss out on so much more. Our Good Shepherd came to give us life abundant. That means even now. That doesn't mean no suffering. In fact, it means when we suffer, because we're promised that, that even then we can live victorious because we have one who suffered on our behalf. Life abundant. Perhaps no other passage of Scripture captures the reason for following this Good Shepherd better than this one right here. And as I read it, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine, church, this Good Shepherd. Hear Him calling your name and will you follow Him? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a good shepherd that we can trust, that we can obey, not by our own strength, but because of the power you have given us by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be one flock, following only one good shepherd, Jesus. And we will be careful to give you all of our praise. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.